Welcome to the Valhalla Podcast. This is David Cerberus Burbridge. We're joined tonight by Mike, Matt, John, and Bourbon. We are here to talk about Battletech and all of the things going on in the Colorado area and and beyond. So we'll get us started out by talking to each of our uh, podcast hosts about their uh, experience, hobby progress, and you know, what brought us to Battletech? So we'll start off with uh, Mike. All right. Um, well, I've been in, known the universe and played it since. So I got into it as a kid with the everyone's favorite clicky tech. Um, when they switched the rules around to where you couldn't use any of the stuff we all had anymore, I abandoned it like everyone else. Um, Life went on and then discovered the Kickstarter, uh, what was that, a year and a half ago, two years ago, and dove back into it pretty hard, obviously. So um, that's that's my background in the game, a couple years, especially with the Battletech Actual on the tabletop. Me? <laughs> well, you um, are the only bad. That's true, that's true. Uh, hell, I'm going to date myself. I I got into the game uh, late 80s uh, with a friend of mine from high school. And he had the first edition City Tech, I think it was, or one of the box sets and like the original TRO 3025 had just come out. And uh, I just got addicted to it and been playing it off and on the last long time <laughs> john yeah i actually first became aware of battletech as a kid uh going to like a used bookstore you know it's like a quarter for a book and i just load up on science fiction and that included uh robotech or battletech or whatever they're called and uh, i've been playing the game only a year now uh in denver uh and it's been pretty fun and, and uh between Matt running things uh, at the uh, Hobby Town up there in Westminster. We've had a pretty good turnout and a growing community, so a lot to look forward to. And Matt. Hello, hello. Uh, yeah, so I actually got into Battletech in kind of a weird way. Uh, I watched uh, Saturday morning cartoons religiously, and in the ni- early 90s, I watched this awesome show called Exo Squad which really got me into this mechanized armor-type battles and stuff like that. Following that, the the show that came on after that was this awesome Battletech animated series, which I could not get enough of. Uh, although, if I watch it nowadays, I'm a little bit, you know, a little bit worried about my, uh, my psychological state at that time because it's not that great, uh, but it does have mechs in it. Um, so that really got me into... Battletech, and then uh, started playing the Mech Warrior games, and and then found out there was a tabletop game, and that's when I started playing uh, classic Battletech. Uh, kind of had a hiatus from the game. I I only ever played with my uh, my brothers when I was a kid, uh, and then the Kickstarter came out uh, well, a couple years ago, and got uh, hooked up with that, and and now I've been uh, hooked uh, into playing. Uh, Pretty much weekly uh, ever since then. So I've uh, been pretty good and always excited to play. 
And for myself, I started playing Battletech in the late 90s. I had a neighbor down the street who had the Battletech, I think, second edition box set and ended up gifting it to me. And so I kind of got into mechs first that way. And then, of course, the Saturday morning cartoons in the, the late 90s and took a hiatus just like Matt did for about 10 years. And I kind of rediscovered my love for Battletech after I got pissed off at X-Wing when they switched over to the 2.0 and re-dove into Battletech, found a couple of players in Colorado Springs, and we started a local group, and it's grown from there. The Kickstarter came out, and now I'm looking forward to now the next Kickstarter, and I play both Classic and Alpha Strike. Uh, and a little bit about the folks that we have here, uh, we are kind of the more or less the core group of organizers here in Colorado. So myself, Mike, John, Matt, and Ben, we are trying to drive the community as much as possible here in Colorado. So at some point during the podcast, um, probably a different episode, we'll talk about, you know, how do you build a community? How do you you know, move forward. How do you gather people? How do you do that? But for this podcast, we're going to be talking about uh, special pilot abilities. We're going to talk about uh, past events, a little bit of fiction and lore, uh, box contents, and how to use them, how to integrate them into your game. And uh, then we're going to go dive right into the a full discussion on the special pilot abilities. And uh, then we'll talk about some of the events that are coming up in the near future here in Colorado. And then we'll close out. So for past events, we had Gen Con, which Ben made his way out to. And then we had the Colorado Open. And just this uh, weekend was Tacticon. So for Gen Con, Ben, if you want to take us away, what was your experience out there? And you know, what did you see? Was it fun? Is it worth it for somebody to go out there? All right. So, yeah, I was able to uh, go out to Indy this year. I'm originally from Indianapolis, so it was kind of a chance for me to get home a little bit. Uh, I did not attend Gen Con proper this year. Uh, I've attended in the past, but I just chose not to go this year. But uh, WolfNet usually puts on, uh, the last two years at least, or three years running, they put on Battle Barn, which is just outside in Martinsville, Indiana. Um, and uh, it was a good time. Uh there was a lot of folks there. I think Friday night we had, or actually Friday all day, we had a, a, a scenario-based game uh, that lasted for about 10 hours, an Alpha Strike scenario-based game. Um, there was about eight players on each side, and uh, it was a fun time. And then Saturday uh, we uh, did the Alpha Strike tournament. Um, I want to say there was... A total of 18 players in the Alpha Strike tournament at Battle Barn. Um, I took uh, 17th. I was I was trying to uphold a little bit of Colorado on that one. Uh, just bad day, just bad day. We've all had them. But uh, overall, the information I got coming out of Gen Con with the new uh, the new books that have come out with Empire Alone and the new prototypes for the mechs. Everybody was showing pictures of what they saw at Gen Con and stuff like that. So um, look, 
had me pretty excited to uh, be a part of the community. And Ben, that was uh, the, the Alpha Strike tournament was with the new 2.0 AS350 rules, correct? Uh, did you have any feedback from other people that were there on those? Yeah, that's correct. It was the 2.0 uh, with the with the faction and era uh, unit uh, unit construction, um, as well as the uh, three new scenarios that uh, Wolfnet has added to the to the Alpha Strike 350 tournament playset. Um, the feedback we got uh, overall was was really well. Um, there was a lot of interesting uh, faction and era lists out there. I did see a there was about three out of eighteen players. There was about three players that were playing Republic of the Spear. Um, I want to say three players that were playing Dark Age Jade Falcons, and then the rest was kind of a mix. I can't remember going up against anybody that had like a Succession Wars list or anything like that. So um, that might be something I might try out here soon. I'm really surprised by the number of uh, Republic players. It, was it marketed as a Dark Age only event or is it all era? No, open? no, it was open, open season on whatever faction era you wanted. Um, and that's something that I know. Uh, we had talked about when I went to the uh, Rumble on the River in Iowa back in April with uh, Gideon. Um, we had a big long session on how to, you know, how to market this, and we we determined that unless we give, you know, six months notice of hey we're going to do this event and it's going to be limited to this era, you know, it's hard to put that on somebody and say hey you can't bring anything outside of this era kind of thing, you know, cause people got to build a whole new army. They got to build a whole new, you know, paint things and construct things. So we've seen some of that here in Colorado too, with our first couple big events where we limited the, uh, the faction and era to a specific timeline. Yeah. And I think it'll work if, if as long as you give people enough advance notice that, Hey, it's going to be limited to this type of, this type of era. You know, whether it's Jihad, whether it's uh, Dark Age, whether it's Succession Wars, Clan Invasion, whatever. Um, you know, as long as people have enough notice to build out their army list and then, you know, construct their minis and paint their, paint their list or whatever they're doing. You know, I think it's doable. So here in Colorado, we just last month finished the uh, Colorado Premier Open, also using the uh, Wolfnet AS350 2.0 rules. And Matt was the primary organizer on that. And he did a fantastic job. We had, what, 14 players? Yeah, we, had, the uh, we had 12 on the Alpha Strike side and then two uh, classic Battletech players. Um, yeah, and it, it did go really well. And, and we, were, we were the first uh, premier event to use 2.0. And I, I think we did a good job uh, there. It went really well. Um, uh, and we, I, I think people really enjoyed having the faction and era uh, restriction. There, in previous events we've had here, we've we've kind of um, selected the era that people were going to work in, and then then had different restrictions. And we we've kind of been working up to this using the actual premier rule set through different events here in Colorado. And I think that prepared at least at least probably about half the people that were there, that were playing at the at the open were had been at previous events, and so it, 
you could really tell that they'd played more of the scenarios. Uh, they were a little bit more experienced that way. Uh, but I think everyone had a really, really good time. We have had a lot of these larger events in Castle Rock, Colorado, uh, and, a, and a lot of people visited the uh, Inconceivable uh, Games store there. And so it's been really good for us to to have a place there kind of central to the to the whole front range where we can hold these big events. And um, it's been really good. So yeah, it went really well and, and kind of similar similar comments to Ben. So I know we we owe a, uh, a shout out to the winner of that tournament, which was Jack, and he was playing a what was it? A, was it a Word of Blake list? Word of Blake, yeah. Well, and I think he themed it Angels and Demons, so he was running all of the Celestial Mechs, and he just, well, he crushed everybody that he played against. I think he finished 4-0, and I don't know what his uh, MOV is. I don't know if, Matt, you have the the uh, results easily available, but uh, I know I got a chance to play Ben, and he absolutely crushed me in two turns. It was pretty hilarious. <laughs> because I decided that I was going to go full stupid, and I took, I know this is going to make the uh, the guys over at, what is it, Mech Bay, cringe a little bit if they listen to this. Uh, I went full industrial, and I personally took a army that had one, two, three, four, five industrial, six industrial mechs in it. It was so, awesome. I think Denim. I think Denim from the Mech Bake podcast is the one that just hates <laughs> industrial mechs. I got a great laugh out of that last episode that they did because, and I think Mike did as well because they were just very upset that uh, when they were talking about their their list that they made that somebody had put a, together a Dark Age industrial mech, industrial list, but. Uh, why don't we talk about what what we uh, what we brought, what our experiences were? I know I personally had a great time. I went two and zero, and one of that was Ben absolutely kicking my ass. Uh, but, Tell you what, uh, Dave, you know your list freaked me out <laughs> because I don't know anything about industrial mechs, and I was like, I don't know what they're going to do. I have no idea what their capabilities are, and I was like, holy shit, what do I? How do I shoot these things? What? Did, how it does it work? They get close to you and then punch you in the face. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I, that's it, that's, it that's how it panned out, out right? <laughs> well, that's how it panned out when I played Rick. He, uh, we, we decided to have a gentleman's agreement on King of the Hill, and we met. He had a melee list also, and we met in the middle, and it did not go well for him. But that was kind of helped out by a uh, one hundred ton Diomede, and then. Or or two fifty tonners uh, in the Deep Lords, but it was really funny and it was a really great time because he and I were both like middle of the pack, so we just decided to have fun with it. Yeah, and our own our own uh, Burr Ben there, he came in second place actually. So let's hear what your list was, Ben. Uh, so I was running a Starly Defense Force, uh, the three hundred thirty first Royal Division from back in the day so i was doing that and uh my primaries were you know a crockett a flashman an exterminator a crab always got to have a crab shout out to you gideon um and then i had uh a mercury and a mongoose and i'll tell you what that mercury is is a pain in the ass 
it has got some great movement. Um, I did also run uh, two squads of Nighthawk battle armor or power armor, actually, and uh, two heavy hover transports. So that was kind of my whole list. Um, I ran it at Colorado Open. I came in, you know, in a respectable place. I ran the same exact list when I went to Battle Barn for Gen Con, and it didn't turn out. It was the complete opposite. <laughs> well, I can speak to the the stupid hover transports and them not dying. I think I fired my entire list into your two hover transports, and they survived everything. <laughs> they're pretty. They're pretty solid. I mean, they're just you know regular heavy hover transports. You you were shooting the Gabriels. Oh, that's those, right. The, those little Savannah masters with turrets would not die. The old high TMM, it helps. Mm-hmm. And then John came in fourth overall, and uh, I know uh, John is one of those dirty clanners. So what, what were you running, John? Uh, I have an Intersphere 4, so I just haven't painted it. Uh, I took sure. um, Clan Invasion era uh, Clan Jade Falcon, because if you're going to be the bad guys, you may as well be the Yankees of the bad guys. And let me just bring up the list. Um, I had uh, everyone's favorite, Dasher H, uh, Dragonfly, Grendel, Thor, Vulture, Loki, Warhawk, uh, Kit Fox, and then two Elementals. And I had all that junk because I took everything at skill four or even five if it was the Fire Moth and Elementals. Um, And I like uh, rolling a lot of dice. That's kind of my philosophy so if you look at all those units they roll a good amount of dice um always fun and (laughs) i uh i did run into david as well and i accidentally sacrificed one of uh my my summoner to something with an axe that just took it out at the knees and then uh, yeah, yeah, same difference. Uh, and then uh, I was doing really well. It's three and zero, and then I, I ran into Jack actually uh, for King of the Hill on the last one. And um, I Jack uh, is a very strategic do? player. What did I do wrong? Yeah, he he does really kind of look to get the every inch he can when playing. So he's he's a strong player, and. Um, I couldn't effectively leverage my list uh, against his. I think he had one assault and one heavy with jump strong. They were just kind of menacingly jumping around the center of the hill. And uh, with skill four, I think I was looking for nines and tens to hit. And then you have to chew through like eight or nine armor. And that's not a very fun fight. Um, So that kind of fell apart for me. But, uh, you know, I think I could win that game. It just didn't quite come together that one time. But uh, it was a lot of fun. It was a fun event, and uh, it's fun running a lot of green mechs. <laughs> yeah. Mike? Uh, so I faced Jack in the third match. Uh, so I was bouncing around between, I think it was like third and fourth uh, throughout Copo. Um, game three was against Jack. He, I messed up, and both he got lucky at the same time. Um, so I had one of my VTOLs, uh, right behind a level one hill and he had an off board arty in his list and he placed it on the hill and it's a, 
Yep, and it hit perfectly. Uh, so it actually, because I had my VTOL at height 2, and the impact point was at height 1, the VTOL was inside the area of effect. So the VTOL died. The uh, the Fire Moth H died. Um, and I was screwed after that. Uh, but it was a good game. I still made him work for it. Uh, game 4, the last game was against good old Ben here. And it was a King of the Hill match. And man, we just got in there. Uh, after, I think it was turn 3, we just put everyone on the King of the Hill template, and it was just a madhouse, and it was a lot of fun because that's how you play King of the Hill. <laughs> yeah, it was. Yeah, I think. Yeah, it was. It came down to like we were all. I had all my stuff on the circle. You had all your stuff on the circle. And we just kept rotating around the circle, just fighting and stuff. It was fantastic. Yeah, it was a super fun game, um, and the the last shot was what my. Uh, I got to hear my jump point infantry flamer type against your last standing unit. I don't remember which one it was. Uh, yeah, I think you, it was, I think it was the Crockett. Yeah, I think so. Uh, you had shot and killed the infantry and I landed a successful hit on yours, uh, anti-mech attack. And for the crit roll, it was almost a headshot. And then it just slowly transferred over to not a headshot. And it was it was almost a it was almost a draw on that absolute last shot. It was a great game. Yeah, it was fantastic. I think that's one of the best things about BattleTech, and I know I'm a little more. I lean more toward Alpha Strike because, it, to me, it's just a more fast paced and fun game. But just the the chance factor of it is like you can make you can do all the math that you want into a list and you can try and find all the edges that you can and sometimes the dice just screw you yeah it's one of the one of the players up here in Fort Collins Ian he always said, he says that he has to say it to someone every Wednesday when we play up here it's it's still just a dice game in the end because someone it seems like and it's different you know every person except for ben ben always gets shafted but with dice but but other than that everyone else has their turn <laughs> we need to buy ben each like a, a pair of dice and go have it like blessed by a catholic priest and give it to him something something Even matt and i were playing last night and it i was doing great and then something just happened and then it just all went to shit yeah he had won every every initiative role and then I won every initiative roll after that point, and and from that point on, he he lost a mech like almost every other turn. So, yeah, it was pretty funny. I have no idea what it's like to win every initiative in a game. <laughs> you sure about that, bud? <laughs> well, we'll talk about that a little later. More on that later. <laughs> Would you like to know more? <laughs> and then, Dave, did you make it to Tacticon then? I did not. I was really tempted on Friday to go up there, but I also know they didn't have any uh, any BattleTech events until Saturday. So rather than really schlub out of work and drop half a day of sick leave to go to Tacticon, I decided to actually work. Yeah, so I talked to Greg last night, who was running the event. Uh, so we're recording on a Saturday, and Tacticon was today with a, with a classic BattleTech event that went. Uh, pretty much all day long where 
it was kind of a grinder style with different uh, different objectives and different missions. And I talked to him last night. He was really excited about it. And, and it looks like from the posts today that he had a really good uh, time and a good turnout. And uh, it sounds like it went well as well. Well, we'll try and get some more and talk about it in a little bit more in depth uh, next time. And now let's take a short break for some news happening around the area. Good evening, Mech Warriors, and welcome to The Battle Report. We have several developing stories in the universe of intergalactic conflict. Odds makers on Solaris 7 are constantly working to provide the citizens of the Inner Sphere comprehensive ratings on all conflicts and contests. First, we go to the gaming world of Solaris 7. In an epic contest of metal on metal, bone crushing excitement, we had another edition of The Grinder. Host Alex facilitated and participated in the contest between three of the Inner Sphere heavyweights and the Galaxy's Get Off My Lawn contenders, the Torian Concordat. Bragging rights and honor were on the line between Alex's Federated Sons, Damien's DMCS, Stephen's Torian Concordat, and Jake's Capellan Confederation. The Torians rolled in with a heavy fire group of a Firestarter, Griffin, and Battlemaster. The Capellans answered with a Duan Gyeong, T. Siang, and Yu Huan. The forces of the DMCS entered the field with some true classic brawling beasts, a Centurion, Thunderbolt, and Grand Dragon. Because what is it when the Draconis Combine is fighting if they don't have a Grand Dragon? The Federated Sons, however, answered with the unique Hatchetman, Enforcer, and Victor. The contest was a venerable cornucopia of brutality and skill. The Hatchetman took first blood with the Capellan Duan Gong, followed closely by the death of the Hatchetman, who fell to an unlucky shot to the ammunition storage bin from the Capellan's vengeful replacement. While the Sons and Capellans continued the succession wars on the field, the Torian and DCMS forces played a game of cat and mouse until the whole fight evolved into the grand melee it was meant to be. Fighting progressed as mechs fell and fans cheered. That was until a hush fell over the crowd when the Torian Battlemaster sent a special delivery ferrous slug of metal through the cockpit of the fresh Capellan Yuhuan. The moment held in the air for an eternity, until every Torian fan in the grandstand cheered. Several Capellan fans attempted to defend the honor of their pilots, but the Torians did what Torians do, and security personnel put a stop to the fight before any Capellans were gravely injured. All the remaining assault mechs continued to trade blows as ozone and blinding lights flashed to the crack of autocannons and the microsonic booms of gauze rifle slugs. The victor fell to the combined fire of the Torian and Combine pilots, 
the machine shut down and fell to its knees due to overwhelming damage to its systems. The bands were on their feet. The Torian Battlemaster had lost both of its arms, and in a dramatic last-ditch effort, the pilot took flight in an attempted death from above on the Combine Cran Dragon, only to be caught mid-air by the combined punch of an ERPPC and LRMs. The resulting shockwave of the XL engine explosion sent cheers through the stands as the protective shielding engaged and stopped the shrapnel. Even the Torians were cheering. There really is nothing better than to go down fighting. Next, we have the extrasolar alpha strike fight between Charles Gideon's Killhounds and Matt's Lyran Guards at the Battle Barn on Old Terra. The fight was officiated by Wolfnet, and the odds makers on Solar 7 called the fight a 50-50 chance of success for either side. The fight was holovid documented, so we will keep this to the highlights. In a contest of skill, speed versus low armor, Charles fielded a force of two Fenris Omnimechs and two pairs of battle armor, Rottweilers and Kukulains. His opponent went heavy with an Iron Cheetah, Marauder II, Arrow IV Urban Mech, two heavy Urban Infantry squads, and a Maxim Hover Transport. Charles was immediately made the mouse by sheer volume of firepower and played the role well. He attacked and faded effectively, while Matt made use of overlapping fields of fire and terrain denial using the heavy urban infantry. The two sides traded blows, but the speed of Charles Omnimex and the highly skilled pilots continually took chunks out of the enemy force. With battle armor in support, the Iron Cheetah fell to one of the Fenris Omnimex, while the other Fenris took a crushing blow from the Marauder II, but remained barely in the fight. At this point, Charles had lost one squad of battle armor, and Matt had lost his Iron Cheetah. The battle continued for a mind-boggling 14 rounds, with the final engagement coming down to a wounded Marauder II and Maxim versus the wounded Fenris. The Fenris was able to absorb the final desperate attack from the Marauder II and return a killing blow to the assault mech. The Fenris limped away, trailing broken parts and shredded armor to take cover in the refuge of the trees as the Maxim made one final headlong drive to short range to seal the fate of the medium clan mech. After the conclusion of the fight and the dust settled, the Fenris stood propped against a tree where it attempted to move, but the leg actuator buckled and the mech stumbled forward. The jarring action of the move caused the left arm to separate from the chassis and it fell to the ground, crushing a Capellan reporter who had ignored safety regulations to get an exclusive. In the post-match interviews, Charles commented that it was one of the most exciting fights of his life, and his opponent had put up, quote, one hell of a fight. Our final report takes us to a pitched battle between clan and intersphere militia that took place in a rural desert for control of a local manufacturing center for PPC components along the Curitan border. Of this battle by a Comstar Black Hat, we do know that a Solhama Warrior Star engaged the militia using captured mechs. The Holovids we have available showed a truly valiant stand against the clan warriors. The local commander piloted an awesome 8 cube and was joined by his lance mates piloting a hunchback, spider, bushwhacker, and locust. Many of these worlds cannot maintain their defenses in prime conditions, and it looks as though the local boys were able to overcome that disadvantage and killed or scattered the clan warriors. 
After the battle, the remains of one of the warriors was recovered along with the pilot's codex. Leaked reports named the pilot Fade. While Fade had somehow been piloting a stinger, he was able to harass and harry the militia pilots long enough to cover the retreat of the other clan warriors. Battle Ram of this pilot's end was truly spectacular. After closing with the Hunchback, the clan warrior deftly entered into melee combat with the Hunchback and pushed the attack. However, the light pilot did make one critical error, and the Hunchback was able to land a deadly blow that resulted in the downing of the Stinger and the end of the battle. The militia commander said, quote, That Spitfire just don't know when to die. These clan folk must have a sandbiver in their ass. End quote. This concludes our battle reports. This is David Cerberus Burbridge. Remember, a good Capellan spy is a dead Capellan spy. And clanners, the water in the gene vat excuse only works for so long. Good night, mech warriors, and happy hunting. Uh, let's see. So that pretty much closes out the recent events that have happened here in Colorado. And uh, that brings us on to fiction and lore with uh, Ben leading it off. Oh, man. All right. Hope you're ready. Uh, Bruce. You're so, the one who said you wanted to do it. Yeah, that's true. I did. Um, yeah, <laughs> I just I've been reading a lot on uh, question of survival lately, um, which is pretty well tied into the events that kind of unfolded in Tamar Rising. I know John and I had started talking about this earlier. Um, we sure did. Yeah. Uh, I don't know do if y'all are... Do we need I'm to sorry, have a David? spoiler? Do we need to have a spoiler alert? Uh, sure. I mean, how old is it? Two months, I guess. Spoiler alert. I mean, yeah, question alert. has been out month and a half, two months, something like that. Tim Arise has been out since last Gen Con, so I mean if you haven't read it by now, you're you're slacking. I'm trying well, to okay. right. I'm slacking. <laughs> I have not read anything past, I think. Well maybe I've read one or two past Dark Age, but that's about it. Yeah, well Dark Age is its whole other sad, ugly thing. <laughs> but <laughs> right, Ben and I were talking about that earlier too. And uh you know I feel like the CGL guys are trying to get us jump started into ill clan, you know, going forward. And I, I definitely want to stay abreast of it and see what the, the universe is shaping up to be. Um, and, you know, of course, I don't know if all the source books are the same style, but with tomorrow rising, it's very kind of zoomed out. You're seeing like large level or higher level with balls going on with the new players, etc. And I think the question of survival is just, it follows a few characters from Tamara Rising, right, Ben? Yeah, it does. It does. Um, you know, the, the ghost bears are predominant in it. The Jade Falcons are predominant in it. Um, trying to uh, reboot or uh, restructure the Jade Falcons after their the events on Terra. Um, so the, you know, the new con of the Jade Falcons, uh, Chistu, I don't even know how to pronounce his first name. So I'm just going to call him Jay Chistu. Yeah. <laughs> G, 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 um, G, yeah. yeah. I don't, I don't know. I got nothing. It's a stretch. Um, mm-hmm. right. Because there's, 
you know, no HPG network, there's some Jade Falcons who are still in the occupation zone and they're like, uh, Hey, so we lost. <laughs> and, uh, you know, they haven't gotten the memo that they're the new Blackwatch. So they're trying to reform. They're the reformed Falcons is what they call themselves. Um, and basically, you know, it's free real estate. Everyone's coming in. wants a little piece of what all is there. Uh, and like Ben was saying, uh, G.U. Uh, Chistu uh, appoints himself as kind of the, the leader for the time being. And being down on pilots, he has to get pretty creative for recruitment purposes. Yeah, I think, you know, I, I just don't know where it's going to head. You know, I, you know, based off of what I've gotten so far into with the, the latest novel, um, you know, if anybody remembers the uh, introduction of the Chaos March back in the early clan invasions or mid clan invasion time frame, um, you know, that was such a huge thing because you had five established houses and then you had this chaos march that pretty much all these little fiefdoms were popping up all over the place within, you know, what was happening there. It just seems like the the way the industry is now with the Oakland era, that the entire universe is becoming a chaos march. You know, it's everybody's out for themselves. Everybody's trying to grab what they can. And, you know, I, I'm not sure how it's going to play out. seems like they're setting up for a, uh, almost a inner sphere wide reunification war. That's a good point. You know, I, I could definitely see something like that happening. Um, so not quite the scale of the succession wars because you don't have the major States, or at least they aren't as powerful as they used to be, but with all these smaller States, will they consolidate? Will they join the major factions? Will they, somehow i don't know overthrow one of the big houses yeah you know i mean yeah. there was that attempt with uh you know vedette brewer when he tried to become archon of the Lyrian commonwealth and then he got ousted and then he decided to make his own little piece of the Lyrian commonwealth so i'm not sure with the whole tamar pact coming into play with the you know, Vedette's Brewers guys out there in the on the far edge of the Lyrian Commonwealth. Um, yeah, you know, can, and, and just I to can... catch you guys up, if you're kind of losing it, uh, Brewer was a duke uh, for the Steiners, and then he briefly claimed the throne and then was immediately dethroned. And then they kept him along to just kind of keep the peace sort of thing, and then he immediately betrayed them again <laughs> he's managed to like carve out his own little duke hood in the uh the former jade falcon occupation zone and uh could have sworn you said douche <laughs> he's kind of a douche <laughs> yeah yeah kind well, of i mean douche. i think that fits too douche, yeah. douche brewer <laughs> his own, his douche own independent douche. douche hood uh yeah and then you also have um general regis who returns to tamar and it turns out that she's a tamar nationalist effectively and she's like you know what the larians didn't respect us and our contributions and they squandered our resources and our you know young people we're not going to stand for it we're going to have our own republic so you know it's what ben was talking about before there's like all this fragmentation so what was originally the, the jade falcon occupation zone now has the uh, tamar pact which 
originated from the Lyrans. Um, what is Duke Brewer? Uh, I don't know what his group is called. And then you also have the Jade Falcons themselves fragmenting. You have some under G.U. Chistu who want to stay by like the old tenets of like, okay, warriors are the top. We're going to be terrible and wear feathers and leather. And then uh, another one is like a mercantile group who's uh, she gets tired of being ruled by the the warriors who can't even balance the books and run the business. She's like, you know what? I'm going to make my own bank. So that's those are the major players uh, for Tamar. Am I missing any? Yeah. No, I don't think so. I mean, uh, I think Brewer's got the what's called the Vesper Marches. Is that what it is? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, you got, you got all that whole intermixing group there that's, you know, it, just... And it almost kind of feels... Yeah, it almost kind of feels like that 40K thing of like, okay, well, here's this tiny area of like chaos and here's this other tiny area of what's going on war, you know? So I, it, I think they're trying to create space for players to create their own scenarios, you know, create their own narratives. But the overarching narrative is kind of hard to follow because if if no major power is able to exploit the weakness of another, then it's kind of like, oh man, then what are the stakes if it's just going to be fragmentation all over the place? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting. Be the to Empire use Empire. a nuke. Let's see if we can put those uh, Ares conventions to the true test. <laughs> Get to know that your first instinct is war crimes. You're like, ah. Well, you know, it's only a war crime if you get caught. And if there's no one left, you can't get caught. That's yeah, fair, everybody. That's fair. Don't trust David. <laughs> <laughs> He's been capelling all along. God, don't you even insult me like that. <laughs> so some of the other things we were going to talk about tonight is box and how to use them, because I know there's a lot of new players in the game, and you know you pop open one of these box sets or one of the uh, force packs and it has all this stuff in it. And you know, how do you how do you use it? How do you integrate it into your game? Uh, for the small scale force packs, uh, we have, you know, obviously you get your four or five minis and then you get your cards and those cards kind of tell you what each of these mechs can do. And just to look at a, a card as an example in front of me, I've got a uh, Black Lantern Prime. So upper right hand corner, you have a number, which is your PV score, which applies to Alpha Strike. And major difference between Alpha Strike and Classic is pretty much everyone who's played a couple of games knows is that the Alpha Strike game set is 3D terrain, non-hex, uh, using inches for movement. And all these cards are designed for that. Uh, if you need to get your stats for your Classic games, you can use resources like, uh, like Mega Mech and print out all of your... Uh, record sheets and classic gives you a much more granular uh, feel to to the games and I know uh, John and Matt you guys play classic I don't know about Ben do you play classic a lot yeah I do I I grew up on it man I I'll play it I've just been in an Alpha Strike kick lately for me as soon as Alpha Strike came out I dropped classic like a bad habit because classic is great 
it just takes a long time and it does have some pretty cool mechanics in it for you to have a more thematic uh gameplay in it well, but, I think, uh, so uh yeah to the to the timing thing i i think you're right david but that uh I, I was noticing last night when we uh we have a friday night thing at westminster hobby town and and uh, the guys were playing classic BattleTech. They did get two games in that night because they were really focused on specific things. Greg did a really good job, I think, focusing them on specific objectives and keeping it to like a 6K um, for each team. And they were able to get through two two games in the same time that uh, us other guys playing Alpha Strike were able to get through two games as well. So I think you really have to be that focused to really get through the, that. But but yeah, going back now you can go back to the Alpha Strike with the cards and stuff. <laughs> well, I mean... To make Classic a faster game, you have to know the rules. If you're going into it as a new player, uh, a lance-on-lance game is going to take you about three hours, three, four hours. Uh, Alpha Strike... Also known as, why does this modifier have to exist? (laughs) (laughs) And then you get into into the Alpha Strike side, and you can run a lance-on-lance game in about a half hour to 45 minutes if you're playing all the just the base rules where one roll is all of your damage. Uh, but back to the cards. Uh, really, the cards are there to give you a lot of info. On the right-hand side of the card, you've got the era symbols, which correlate to the masterunitlist.info website, which where you can pick your era. So, for example, with this Black Lantern Prime, you have the clan invasion, the... Uh, Civil War, Jihad, and Republic timelines. And I think I'm these really are all printed by your ability to interpret those images. Because like, I remember looking at that and I'm like, oh, cool. Circles. That's because I've like, spent all right. way too much time building lists for Alpha Strike 350. Jack has time. entered the chat. Oh, is he? No, I was making fun of you. Oh. <laughs> no, the... Uh, <laughs> no, I just... I, I just spend a lot of time looking at the master unit list and it's a very good thing that it's blocked at work because otherwise i would get absolutely no work done uh but then for the rest of the card you have your your type of mech that it is whether it's a battle mech omni mech industrial mech infantry or well i guess they don't have infantry cards yet so it doesn't really matter uh you have your size the black lantern is a medium mech so it's a size two your uh, light mechs are typically size one heavy mech size three and assault mechs are size four TMM is your target movement modifier. That's uh, essentially how hard it is for someone to hit you. And then you have your movement, which is for the Black Lantern, 18 inches. Uh, It gives you a roll. The roll really doesn't matter. It's more fluff than anything because it really depends on how you play it. Uh, And then you have a blank skill category. Now that correlates to, again, master unit list where you can select the skill, which will change that number in the upper right hand corner from 47 to something higher as you bring the skill closer to zero or it lowers it as you bring the skill closer to eight because everything that you get on these cars is all base skill of four Uh, then you get into your ranges you have your short medium and long range brackets you have your modifiers next to them short being zero medium being two long being a plus four and then you have whether or not the mech can overheat uh, a heat scale. So if you do use that overheat, you start slowly creeping up that heat scale until you get four heat and then you shut down and then you're dead. Uh, your armor and structure values and then your special special abilities, which will go into special abilities a lot more in depth on a different episode, but they are there. They're in the 
Alpha Strike uh, Commander's Edition manual. Uh, if you're a new player, I really do recommend that you get a, a physical copy and also get the uh, digital copy. You can buy them both from the Catalyst website, or you can get at least your physical copies from your uh, your local game stores. Uh, and then you give your critical hit table, and it just goes into all of your all of your possible crits that can happen uh, from engine fire control, movement points, or excuse me, I'm completely blanking on what MP actually stands for. What is it? Motive? Movement points. Okay, your movement, movement points. points. Uh, then you go into your weapons, uh, and again, those are all detailed out in the in the Commander's Edition manual of what each of those does to your mech as you go on. But back to the whole purpose of what we're here talking about, how do you use these? So if you buy a brand new force pack, you want to play Alpha Strike, you can take your mechs right out of the box and you have your cards, so you can use those cards to play at least straight out of the box at a skill four, and you can, with your buddies, uh, Arrange it so that your forces are relatively equal in total number of that upper right hand num number. And that will give you a fairly balanced approach to a force on force battle. Yeah, I found that actually that the PV and Alpha Strike is a little bit more balanced than the, the BV that's traditionally used in uh, in classic battle tech. So I really like the balance with the, the PV and Alpha Strike. Um, so yeah, even even just taking them, you know forces straight out of the box and playing with them that the balance if you keep the pv relatively close is pretty good i and i agree with matt you know as as a long time classic player setting up you know battle value games and stuff like that even with battle value 2.0 um you know the pv really is a much closer game than than a battle value game is um and it, you know i don't know i'm not a math guy so I could couldn't tell you how all those conversions and everything work, but you know, for some reason, the PV and Alpha Strike is a lot more uh, equitable, I guess, when you're setting up two opposing sides than it is in, in battle value. So then we have another set of cards that comes with your uh, with your force packs and with the starter sets, and those are your pilot cards. So those are using uh, support points. And support points are, I know Mike's looked into this a little bit farther than I have, uh, but the cards give you a little bit of fluff. They give you a named pilot for each of your mechs, and it also gives you a special ability on there. And those special abilities uh, is what we're going to really talk about tonight because they can really add a little bit of flavor to your game. Uh, they can sometimes be a little overpowering or overpowered depending on how they're employed and uh some of them are really only good for one-off scenarios so each of us this last uh two weeks we took a chance and we uh organized with each other and we had a couple of games where we used uh the special pilot abilities and for me this is the first time i'd ever actually used a special pilot ability because I've been very resistant to using them because I thought they were garbage and that they had no place in the game. And I will say that I will sort of renege on that comment that they do have a place in the game and they can make things a little bit fun. And they definitely are not great for a tournament style like 
uh, Alpha Strike 350. I think there's too much chance for abuse of the special pilot's abilities in a competitive, but for uh, your standard play, I think it can add some fun factor to it. So if you're running your own campaign or if you're running your own, uh, you know, just pick up game and you want to use some special pilot abilities that can make it uh, pretty fun. Yeah, should we go through the what the uh, the Alpha Strike Commander's Edition uh, kind of recommends as far as the SBAs real quick? Yeah, go for it. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, uh, where to find the rules, where to find all these SBAs and, and the information regarding each of them is in the Alpha Strike Commander's Edition. Uh, in mine, I think mine's the fourth edition, um, maybe the fifth, I don't know. Uh, it's pages 92 to 101. And... Uh, they suggest that you use them basically one SPA per every four units. And not only do they make that suggestion, but they also suggest that you only use them with certain skills. So, for instance, like green pilots, like any any uh, any unit that has a skill five or above, you wouldn't put any SPAs on. A regular pilot, which is these skill fours that David was talking about, uh, you'd put one SPA of up to two points, and these are these are different points. These aren't the PV points; they're they're SPA points, and you kind of need to talk with whoever you're going to play with in order to use them. Um, uh, so, continuing on with the veteran and elite pilots, that's uh, skill two and three in Alpha Strike. There would be a max of two SPAs um, for up to four points, and then your skill one and zero are so awesome and cool that you never see these guys in regular games, anyways. But they recommend a max of three SPAs for each of up to six points. And uh, they do mention in the rules that they can't, like, if a mech needs a specific special for that SPA to work, then it can't work without that special. For instance, they give, like, the example of Melee. So there's a couple of them, like Melee Master and a couple other Melee ones. You have to have a Melee special on your unit to be able to use that SPA. Otherwise, it, it just doesn't operate or do anything. Uh, no. So anyways, back to David, and we'll kind of go through like what people thought about the SPAs they used. So Mike and I were the ones that ended up uh, playing each other, and I will freely admit that I did not read the rules on SPAs before I started picking them, and uh, that was my bad because I made just a, a newbie mistake, and I thought that they were spent through pv so i just downgraded my list from 350 points that we agreed to and uh worked the spas into that number i think i still i did still follow all the rules unintentionally i did not put spas on uh on units that could not use them uh for example on my side of the list it was a 11 units and it had i had a warrior helicopter with well, actually, let me back up just one second to tell you a little bit about how Mike and I came to the actual game. We decided to really have a little bit of fun with it, and we rolled dice to see which era we were going to fight in. And we ended up rolling, what was it, late six, or early succession wars or succession wars and... Lost Tech. Lost Tech. So we ended up in Lost Tech, so we had nothing but, you know, 30, 25 uh, mechs. And then to... I was trying to stick my finger in Mike's eye and I gave him uh, I picked the faction for him and I gave him the Capellan Confederation but lo and behold Mike is 
more dastardly than I am. <laughs> and he gave me the Canopians. So I guess I got that a little bit on the back end. Uh, so the SPAs that I picked for my side were... Ask and you shall receive, friend. I guess if, so. If only the eras allowed you both to play the world of Blake, which I know is both your favorites. I would rather lies, all lies. Chew on glass. just looking at me with disgust right now. Yeah, <laughs> I would rather uh, chew on glass than play Word of Blade. That's going to be a no from me, dog. <laughs> but yeah. So the uh, the SPAs that I picked were Tactical Genius and Combat Intuition, and then on one of my VTOLs, uh, I put Shaky Stick. So the tact. Hmm? What Mike? Fuck that guy. <laughs> Mike's mad because he could not hit the shaky stick VTOL to save his life. Because the shaky stick, uh, you put it on VTOL and it gives it an automatic plus two to its uh, TMM. So it made it from ground to air attacks. So had Mike decided to bring a VTOL, he, uh, he would not have had to deal with that. The uh, one time SPA. I didn't. The one time I didn't. That's disgusting. Disgusting. Yeah, so it took a it took a uh, a TMM three VTOL and made it a TMM five essentially. It doesn't actually modify the uh, the TMM, but it does just add another it's a target, target number modifier. Yeah, it's a target number modifier. So essentially, it made it a, a TMM five. And, if, and you're gonna a, give Charles you know, the a VTOL modifier heart as well, right? Which pumps you up to six. Yeah, yeah, it was incredibly That's hard disgusting. to hit that, uh, that VTOL. Disgusting. Bro, yeah, I needed just... tens. <laughs> that short range. <laughs> it was wonderful. Uh, the the one thing that I think Mike hated the most was the combination of tactical genius and combat intuition. Because tactical genius allowed me to re-roll initiative once every uh, two rounds. So if I activated tactical genius as long as the mech that had it was still alive i could re-roll initiative and what that hat what happened there was i only truly lost initiative i think twice in the entire game and i was able to re-roll both times and i won initiative so for that entire game i had initiative and that synergized with combat intuition because combat intuition requires you to win initiative to use it and seems really uh healthy and fair yes so that was a that was a situation where i ran into spas that almost really took the fun factor out of the game because there was there was still a chance that mike could win initiative but once every two rounds me being able to to re-roll it, it was a little overpowered. And then you had throw combat intuition on that as well, which allows a mech to move and then immediately shoot and immediately apply damage, which I had on my Marauder. So my Marauder moved into medium range through four dice and then threw a big middle finger at whatever it shot at because it immediately took effect. Yeah, and I had a uh, I had combat intuition on my hunchback four P, and since I never won initiative, I never got to use it. Uh, there was one time I did win once, but he was able to use his tactical genius and uh, steal it away. So that sucked. <laughs> and Mike also found that uh, 
remembering that you have special pilot abilities comes into play a lot because uh, remembering and, is key. <laughs> because he uh, he had a sniper on a skill two awesome, and he forgot about it for about four rounds. Yeah, that doesn't help. Yeah, it was about halfway ish through the game that I was like, oh yeah, that's right, I have this sniper, and I should have hit everything instead of nothing. Um, so <laughs> that's that was unfortunate. <laughs> So, yeah. now, Mike, what did you think about your... Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I was just about to say, it, it definitely seems like, you know, just to start off with our our conversation here, there's definitely some caveats to using these. You know, you definitely want to make it more of a conversation piece on which ones and, and how many points before before the game so things like that don't happen, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that is definitely key. I don't think... Uh, well, I'll save that comment for, for the end. But uh, Mike also had another... SPA on his mech, so it was actually pretty interesting, so I'll let him talk about that one. So yeah, on my uh, I, I put Antagonizer on my Locust 1E and um, essentially at any point throughout its movement path uh, I can activate that ability and every enemy unit within a 6 inch radius from the point along the movement path that it was activated essentially has to roll to see if it's enraged, essentially. Uh, I think that was the word the book uses. Um, so each unit within that six-inch bubble has to roll a nine-up to not be enraged, and then they can carry on as normal. But if they fail the roll, so they get... So you roll eight down, and this is per unit, then they are enraged and must target that unit um, and move toward it and if they haven't moved yet move towards it in the most direct path and legal movement way possible um, so you can really mess somebody up with that um, when I used it I, I think I enraged well at I triggered four units um, Dave's dice were just on fire that day uh, he had at least one through armor crit every round, I believe it was. I rolled attack almost every round. It it was brutal. Um, <laughs> and so of the four units of his that were triggered, only two ended up in rage. But one of the nice things about it is if your opponent's dice, say, aren't on fire, then that is four units that now must target the same unit so like they're not shooting anything else so like i used it when um i knew the, the locust was guaranteed to die that turn so i ran uh i didn't even i didn't even sprint him it's just a normal move um and we we looked into it there's nothing saying that a sprint does that you cannot activate it on the sprint but either way uh the locust was going to die that turn anyways uh so i moved him right along this tank column uh that dave had and then ended up also triggering his marauder um but yeah so you can definitely uh take some strategic uh thought pro uh, that's the word um you you can take some initiative away from your opponent by forcing multiple units to target one unit that's going to die regardless um, 
his dice were on fire that turn, so it didn't really matter. But you know, it I liked it. That and tanks had a three hundred sixty degree firing arc, so he was dead anyways. <laughs> and I think you actually enraged the awesome because I think the Marauder had already fired because it used the. Uh, I think if I remember correctly, we used the I used the combat intuition that round to shoot at your grasshopper. Maybe I don't, it I don't been, know. We didn't take pictures, so I've slept since then, bro. <laughs> uh, headline reads: Canopian cat girl locust derails Capellan military exercises. No other way, other way around. The oh, Canopian cat girl well, derailed yeah. the uh, the Capellan Confederation's dastardly plan. I see. God, I, I'm oh. gonna. Uh, I can't believe I said that. The uh, the timing on that one's interesting because there aren't a lot of abilities in BattleTech that uh, can be at any point in time. Usually, it's so like, okay, you're here, you're shooting there. You know what I mean? I don't have the book in front of me, but there's at least two. There's Demoralizer and Antagonizer. Uh, and there's another one, and I think it is yeah, de- what Demoralizer. So the Demoralizer it uh, essentially makes mechs run away. So Antagonizer makes them run toward you and shoot you. Demoralizer makes them run away from you. Yeah. But no, so those were the those were the, the special power abilities that Mike and I used. What about the rest of you guys? Uh, I can go I can go next. Uh, so um, Ben and I, we played with uh, a couple of other opponents and and each of us selected two different SPAs. And I'll just talk about the ones that I used. And I, I really liked them quite a bit. I think they can be used in in most games, but the first one I used was Bloodstalker, which is is basically just uh your you you have a unit and it chooses someone that it has an absolute vendetta with. As long as it keeps line of sight, uh, it gets a uh -1 to the target uh, modifier when it fires at it, but a +2 to everything else that it fires at. So it it really gets honed in on on a particular uh, enemy unit and, and it's kind of fun if you really hate uh, one of the enemy units you know if there's something that you really want to get get rid of then uh, you can put this on a I put it on a larger unit and it, it really helped with uh, with getting hits now if, if you break line of sight then it gets to choose a different one uh, a different unit to go after so uh, each each round it's going to get a minus one to firing at something uh, it, it was pretty good. I think I put it on a, uh, I put it on a guillotine and it was, it was hitting almost all four, four damage that it does at medium range every round. So yeah, that was nice. The other one that I had was hot dog, which sounds awesome. And it is awesome. It basically means that you can overheat one and it doesn't count against you. So it just ups the damage profile of, of any unit that has OV one, which is that overheat number without having to worry about the the negative consequences of having heat. So I put that on a Warhammer, and so it, it again... So I've got one, you know, one SPA that's reducing uh, how hard it is to hit, and another SPA that allows it to hit one more. So both of these worked pretty good together. And I think, I think they're pretty even uh, as far as you, you pay two SPA points for them. So they're not the most powerful things, but they definitely help with uh, getting hits and and uh, going after particular units, kind of firing, uh, putting a lot of fire on on one unit at a time and taking them out. Uh, those were the two that I used, and, and they were pretty good. 
sound good. Yeah, I had uh, when I was with Matt. Um, I think I chose Sniper and Human TRO. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, sniper, sniper's pretty rough um, because it gives you instead of the plus two at medium, it gives you a plus one at medium. Gives you a plus two at long instead of the plus four. So it's it's pretty rough if you got something. I put it on a the heck did I put it on? I think it was a it was a banshee. I think so. I was throwing five damage or four damage, something like that at, at medium range with just a plus one. So, so that was pretty rough. Um, the human TRO, I didn't get a chance to use it because whatever unit I put it on got killed before I used it because that's one of those ones where you can only use it once per game and you have to declare it before you roll your to hits and you only get one chance at it. And if you are successful with it, then you can roll on the critical table. So it's it's one of those things where it's for those clutch shots. Yeah, it's like a clutch shot, you know, you know, close range kind of thing where on an undamaged mech, you know, it might be worth it. Um I did have an opportunity to play at Battle Barn. We did we used some SPAs there and I had Range Master and Multitasker. Um, range master, I kind of just threw it out the window because it basically flips everything. Um, I had range master long according to my card, which means that everything that I'm shooting at long range is a plus zero and everything I'm shooting at short range is a plus four. Oh, so, that'd be rough. Yeah. So I just kind of tossed out of the window. I was like, I'm not using this thing. Um, the multitasker was, was interesting, but I really just didn't use it enough to, to play around with it, um, you know. For multitasking, you really have to have a mech that has a lot of dice to throw. Yeah, you really do. And I, I think my multitasker was on a Lancelot, which I had like three damage. <laughs> it, it wasn't that great. So, you know, it's one of those things. I, I think just playing, that was the first time I've ever used SPAs was at Battle Barn and then again with Matt. And um, I think it's definitely a, a campaign uh, perk. Or campaign additive, um, maybe not necessarily a tournament thing. That's just my two cents. John, did you get a chance to play with them? No, I've been on the East Coast. Uh, oh, that's right, you were trying one. Yeah, so just with you in spirit. So, I mean, why don't we go around the horn? What do you guys think? Do you think SPA? I mean, Ben, you already said you think it's good for campaign. It's not good for you know other types of game modes yeah i think tournament play it it's it just throws too many variables that you might spend points on that for a tournament wise it's just not worth it for a for your average tournament player um but for a campaign i i think it might be a it might add some interesting variables to your campaign play so i'm kind of in the same same headspace on that. I don't think SPAs are good for tournament play. I think that they, I, I really do think that they are a campaign flavor additive and that they can bring more depth to your, to your campaign. So if you're running where each of your players is a specific mech warrior in a specific mech, they have their SPA. And as they progress through the campaign, it, 
it kind of helps them against you know high odds and they can play off of each other but for a for a tournament based system i don't think that they really have a place there they struggle a little bit because internally they aren't balanced against each other in terms of how much they cost uh support support point support point wise and then externally some of the abilities just are very very strong against the a default unit in terms of what it could bring um but I, I wouldn't mind seeing like uh factions you know we play era and uh faction and i wouldn't mind seeing like having a, a select roster of pilots you could take like okay i'm a lyran i can take a hoffman kleiner and he has sniper but i can only ever take him in a warhammer of his variant you know what i mean and that's kind of like x-wing it's like okay that's my pilot ability but i can only ever take it on this chassis i was thinking the same thing or it's very very specific instead of just like throwing spas on whatever you want yeah it's just too easily exploitable Mm -hmm. mike what were your thoughts so, I mean, I, I like SPAs. Um, I agree. I don't think they would the, they would fit in a, in a tournament setting. The only way they would fit in a tournament setting is if it's dictated in the rules that say, for instance, Lucky, um, which lets you re-roll one, one roll. Um, this is that if it's built into the rules that ev- every list can put Lucky on one particular unit and that's it. Um, but for so you you guys most uh mostly know about me i prefer large high pv games of alpha strike um mm-hmm. that can take as long as a classic game but like me me and dave uh last december i think it was or maybe january seven we had hours yeah it was 6 or 7 hours but it was 1000 pv per side um there was close to 80 units on the table. If you're playing a large PV game and your opponents uh, and you're comfortable with your opponent, by all means, it's it's easy to throw it in through through a pickup game, even with 500 PV. Um, but I, you you'd have to be comfortable with your opponent at that point because if you're not sure about that opponent, they can easily use it, like be way too cheesy with it and break WNRP rule number one, don't be a dick. And it's really easy to be a dick with SPAs. SPAs are definitely a way that you can lose friends very easily. Because you can, like, honestly, I was surprised that Mike wasn't getting a little more irritated with the combination of tech genius and combat intuition. Because I would have been fuming if I didn't win a single initiative that entire game and it's mostly i'm just happy to play in general but uh (laughs) but you know some of these they they can take the fun out of the game so that's why i don't think that they're they're fit for a a tournament set at least not not in their current form maybe with a little more tweaking and a little bit more of it being fleshed out in the rules they could be integrated into a tournament setting but right now i don't i don't think so matt what are your thoughts yeah, I I, uh, I have somewhat similar thoughts. I think the reason that they have them, and and they're they're present both in Alpha Strike and Classic BattleTech in a little bit uh, different variety because you've got two different skills that you can operate on in Classic BattleTech, whereas it's just one skill um, that you can operate kind of add to um, in in uh, Alpha Strike. So I think that 
this is to kind of add back a little bit more granularity and a little bit more variety in because Alpha Strike takes all these all these different things and kind of mathematically sums it down into one PV cost. Uh, and this is a way to kind of like say, well, not every 37-point mech is a 37-point mech is a 37-point mech. You know, not everything that does 5 damage at short and 5 damage at medium is the exact same as everything else that does has the exact same stats. So you can add something back in that's a little bit more, you know, it has some fluff to it, especially if you use the cards that everyone has been receiving in the box and everyone has a box of these that you're not currently using. I think there are some specific SPAs that are relatively balanced enough that you could use them in I wouldn't say tournament settings but still in just pickup play um you know when we have these nights where you're just playing whoever's there I think there maybe a, a very restricted list of these you could pick one you know per lance or something like that for campaign play which we're, we're doing a campaign up here in Fort Collins right now and I think we're going to add some of these in because especially with the pilot cards it, it not only gets you into the lore a little bit, but you can become more attached to that particular unit. You're not like, oh, I'll just sacrifice my cataphract because he's just a cataphract, you know. You're going to conserve that one because he's special not only as a person, but also for the this additional ability that he has. You'll be more a little bit more cautious. It's a little bit more realistic in a campaign setting. So I think the SPAs... I think the key to them is communication with your opponents before you play and knowledge of how each of them works before you start using them because you're not going to want to make enemies <laughs> gladly. You know, we're, we're happy that Mike is such a forgiving person, but um, it, you're right, David. It can take the fun out of what should be just a fun time that you have with other people. And so I think that's the key is like communication and actual knowledge of the ones that I think are best suited for that particular purpose, whether it be just pickup play uh, or, or specific campaigns, especially since these pilot cards that we receive have particular factions like John was mentioning. And so that, that, that'd be a really cool thing to bring that in. Not only are these units painted purple, but we actually have pilots from the Free Worlds League that are piloting them and they have their own, you know, unique quinkadinks about them that that make them special and add that flavor into a campaign setting so so I, I guess i'm agreeing with basically what everyone is i'm just adding in the component about kind of free pickup play i think there are some that you could use but it has to be very sp specific ones um kind of more general ones rather than really these combinations that you can make with with uh like david had and uh communication before you start to play or, or before you select them i i honestly really like making a very small list of ones that are pretty balanced and rolling a random dice, you know, just for a pickup game and have one one unit that has one SPA and that's that's it. Okay, so next up we have the Battletech Drink of the Month with Ben. So All right. take it away, Ben. Holy smokes. So um, I haven't seen this covered anywhere. I actually had to dive into the dark web on Reddit and uh, look up some, some interesting things about Battletech drinks, which they've appeared in a few novels over the past 20 or 30 years um, with the PPC and the Fusion Air, but people have made a lot of interesting things. So uh, we're going to try and focus each month um, on one particular one. Um, 
this month I'm gonna I'm gonna go to my favorite and my go-to, uh, which Mike and I have kind of dubbed the uh, Dirty Met Coolant, which is uh, half bourbon and half Mountain Dew, bourbon of your choice, and then uh, you just kind of take what you will with it and uh, enjoy it as much as you can. It's kind of a derivative of the one I found on Reddit, which was uh, Coolant Flush, which was Mountain Dew and tequila. And I'm not really a tequila guy, so uh, I'm going to stick with the Dirty Met Coolant, which is actually much more enjoyable. So uh, until next month. All right. And then uh, the last thing we have for this evening is we're going to talk about the uh, upcoming events here in Colorado. And uh, for that, we have the second edition of Battle for the Sphere. We held the first one last year. It was our first uh, major event that we held in Colorado, and it was a big success. Uh, Battle for the Sphere 2 this year is going to be a uh, Civil War era event, but instead of having it in one fixed location in Monument, we've decided to split it between Hobbytown and Westminster for our northern players in the state and uh, in Colorado Springs at Gamers Haven for the southern players in Colorado Springs, uh, Monument, and Pueblo. And the essentially what we've done with the Battle for the Sphere is it is going to be an event that is designed for all the different types of Battletech that we all enjoy playing. We will have a couple tables for Classic running a 6,000 BV Battletech game. We will have a couple tables for Standard Alpha Strike at a 350 PV game. Uh, and then we will have a few tables for uh, Alpha Strike 350, the Wolfnut rules. And that'll give those of us that are on the uh, more tournament competitive side an opportunity to practice. And finally, we're going to have a Alpha Strike multiplayer scenario for up to six players where it is a straight up chaotic free for all. All six players will be on the table at once. There will be five pieces of terrain per player, and they are all fighting to control a downed dropship, which will be in the middle of the table, that produces three infantry, and whoever is closest and has the most PV within six inches of that dropship controls who the infantry shoot at. But whoever lost initiative for the round chooses where those infantry move. So control doesn't rest solely with whoever gets there in the biggest force first. But the uh, the event is being run by uh, Mike and myself here at the uh, in the Colorado Springs area, and Matt and John are taking the lead for the, uh, the northern event. So I'll let Matt and John talk about the northern event so you guys can go over what you'll have there and specifically what times for people to show up, any, any specifics for the northern event. Yeah, so it'll be, I mean, we'll have pretty similar things up in the north as well as in the south. The one thing we will have different is that we're going to be trying out uh, a campaign in a day session. And this will be for Alpha Strike. And it will be based on a, uh, a document uh, created by our awesome uh, Bourbon here uh, called Turning Points Helm. Uh, and basically it'll be four uh, different 
game scenarios all within a day, uh, but also having kind of some time in between to spend points to repair units and to prepare for the next mission. A uh, small amount of time, but uh, a little bit of time to kind of uh, take units from one point of the, the whole uh, turning points kind of document all the way to the end of the campaign, all in one day. And this is going to be the Great Death Legion versus uh, the Free Worlds League, uh, House Merrick. And those will be the two forces. And uh, with all of these things going on, we basically have an online kind of sign-up so that we get people kind of slotted into the particular game that they're trying to play, whether it be the AS350 tournament style or whether they're playing this campaign in a day. And uh, we'll have uh, an explanation for each of these different types. Uh, the campaign in a day information will be coming out here soon. I'm just finishing it up now. Because the Turning Points Helm was um, occurred in a different era than what we're doing here, I, I have to translate the units into Civil War uh, era units. But it should be a really good time. Uh, we plan on doing like we've done in similar events. The store opens at 10 in Westminster so we'll probably start gathering at 10 and games will start at 11 and we'll have a kind of a morning-ish session and an, uh, a kind of a late afternoon session so that if people can only come in the morning and play they don't they're not uh, for those particular games like the AS350 or uh, Classic Battletech you know those games that don't require you to stay there the whole day then you don't have to if you can't so we want to kind of open it up to all types of players people that can only come for a couple hours um, yeah for everyone basically John any thoughts it will be uh, sorry go ahead John uh, uh, yeah I mean I, I appreciate David's credit I think he thinks I do more than I do or he's just trying to justify why I'm here keeps crediting me for things I don't do, but I love it. Oh, well, uh, you know. I just uh, painted up a whole bunch of buildings and I hope to help with the campaign of the day thing. And that's kind of the extent of it. I'll, I'll be available to help with uh, rules callings if needed, but it should be a casual event. Yeah. Um, so yeah, be so each, each location has a separate Facebook invite. So for everyone that's on the discord and in the Facebook group, uh, the event notifications are up there. Each of them has a link for the specific sign-up uh, document that Matt was referencing. Uh, please go in there and, and sign up for the slots so that we have an idea and we can let our uh, our partner stores know, you know, how many people we're going to have, how many tables they need to set aside for us. And the earlier you get in there, the better. Even if you are kind of a maybe and you think you might be able to, please go in and sign up. And it just helps us out a lot as the organizers. And... I also need to thank all the people that do donate to the the Patreon. So the Patreon is what helps us fund the prize support for these events. Uh, this is our first funded uh, event that we're putting out there. And we were able to get the materials for our local 3D printers to go out and start printing a whole bunch of stuff for each of the locations. So uh, we, sh we will have a plethora of resin, pr resin printed uh, mechs and buildings and towers that you can use in both Classic and Alpha Strike. And they will be able to, uh, we're hoping that everyone will be able to walk away with, you know, two to three, two to three prizes each. Uh, as of right now, we don't have any sort of uh, 
of entry fee. So these are, as of right now, free events. So if you're available to come out to either the morning or the afternoon session, the hours are the same at the southern location. We're going to be uh, starting play at 11 o'clock, and then the the second session will start at 2.30. And those of us that are organized will be there all day to help new players if we'll have uh, pre-made armies for the Alpha Strike. We'll put together some pre-made armies for the classic side. So if you you know are a brand new player and you don't think you have enough stuff to bring to one of these, do not worry about it. Reach out to one of us. We will be happy to put something together for you. And if we have the time, we'll even try and tailor it to, to what you're looking for, because most of us have way more plastic than we will ever use at the table. So yeah, and David, if I could, have, if I could hold on about that, mention. David. <laughs> if uh, yeah, geez, way to shame us all, David. Um, if I could just mention, like, kind of, I'm just trying to think of like a person that's never been to a BattleTech event at all, and, and this is their first one. I, I have to say that the events here in Colorado are very welcoming. They're very open. Uh, the organizers are very willing to help with any rules uh, that you may not know, and mm-hmm. and you'll also walk away with tons of swag. I, I promise you will you will leave with quite a bit more stuff than you came with uh, when you get there. Um, even even if you didn't bring anything and you're just using loaner mechs, you you walk away with really cool stuff. I know there's uh, down in the south there's taco trucks. Uh, up here in the north, there's probably going to be you'll probably walk away with uh, some turrets and some uh, urban mechs. Uh, so. Uh, that's one of the things I've really appreciated is, is it's really, it's a really fun time and it's a lot less, it's a little bit, you know, it's not as pressured as maybe you think it's casual. Yeah. It's casual and it's, it's so fun. It's really fun. These events are designed to build the community. We've only actually had, you know, one really premier event and that was the Colorado open. And, uh, that was a very competitive base list, but we still had new players that showed up and everyone was super, super welcoming to the new players. And I think we had one player at uh, the Colorado Open that had only played two Alpha Strike games before he jumped into the tournament. Yep. I mean, from the last Battle for the Sphere was I had played one game of Alpha Strike before that and I had a blast. And, and uh, I've seen people in every event that we've had out here in Colorado in a similar situation where they've only played one or two games of uh, whether it's just, uh, you know, BattleTech in general or Alpha Strike itself. And they've, they've always gone away having a, had a good time. So it's really fun. And for future events, we are looking at putting together a, uh, an event for classic in the November to, or October to December timeframe. We haven't locked anything down yet. It's going to be in uh, probably at Inconceivable or somewhere in the Denver metro area. And that will be a hexless classic. At least that's what we're leaning toward right now. So we're really, we've done almost exclusively uh, Alpha Strike focused events with classic on the side. This one's going to be the opposite. We're going for a classic focused event with Alpha Strike on the side. So the primary is going to be classic because we want to make sure we give love to the classic players too. Uh, there's that's the information that we have on it right now. We are still going through the details and identifying who's going to be the organizer for it and how we're going to arrange all of that. And then in January, uh, there's about four to six of us that are planning to go to the Las Vegas Open Woo-woo. and make a trip out there. We 
uh, we hope to see some more folks out there and hope, hopefully run into the, uh, well, we know we'll run into the uh, Wolfnet guys. So we'll make sure that we uh, bring some, well, I don't want to say bring some of Colorado with us because that might get us stopped at TSA. It's uh, <laughs> <laughs> pretty funny. Sorry, I just got Mike to, Mike to laugh really hard. It's good. It's uh, good. But no, we'll, uh, we're planning to go out to the Las Vegas Open and, you know, who knows, maybe episode four will be done from the top of the Rio Hotel and Bourbon will be, we'll get Bourbon really plastered and then we'll have to have him give us reviews on drinks as we put a that whole bunch of different, fun. a whole bunch of different uh, Battletech drinks in front of him. Uh, and then in Q1, well, it's Q1, January to March, we are... Uh, planning an event in Pueblo for Alpha Strike. So we already have, we're already in the works with that. We have a store identified. So we're just waiting to solidify all the details of what that's going to look like. So we, we are, we're, we're doing everything we can to build this community here in Colorado and make the game available for as many people as we can. So if you've got a friend that's just interested in playing Battletech or they are, new to the gaming scene or if uh they are a refugee from 40k come to the dark side and the cheaper side and enjoy battletech agreed other than that that's uh i mean we can go around and do some uh some shout outs and uh close this thing out so uh who wants to start off um yeah I, i'm just really uh grateful really that i because I'm, i've only lived in colorado for the last uh oh, year and a couple months and it was uh quite a change coming here and uh i guess i came here at the right time as far as BattleTech goes uh because i came here and a couple months later started running to people playing alpha strike and started i had never played alpha strike before that started playing that and went to the first battle for the sphere and uh really have to thank david and and mike and alex down in colorado springs for for kind of getting things organized because it's really yes david's giving me the the visual heart hands that's so sweet um <laughs> you're welcome <laughs> but but I, i've really just enjoyed connecting with so many different people here here along the front range and i i'm just really grateful for an actual battle tech community because i I, I rarely come across a battle tech that I don't want to play like more than I actually play with them. And I, and I play a, a pretty good amount per week. So I'm just really grateful to have people to play with. I, I never played with anyone except for my brothers and, and I love my brothers too, but, but I never played with anyone besides them as a kid. Uh, so it's really cool to meet different people that play different ways with different mechs. And uh, so, yeah, the whole community here along the front range. Thanks, John. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think a big shout out to our local printers, the Joshes, No Josh and Sal Josh, <laughs> who have uh, supported this upcoming uh, tournament with a uh, cool kit. Ben? Um, hell, I, you know, I, you know, it's interesting to me because, you know, similar to Matt, I mean, I've been here a lot less time than Matt has. I moved out in Colorado in April from Virginia and, uh, there was the beginnings of a strong community in Virginia. Um, but I probably went 10 years maybe of not playing a lot of battle tech. Um, and then getting involved with, I guess my shout out is, is probably Wolfnet. My initial shout out for the first episode is going to be for Wolfnet because that's really what got me back into rolling dice again. 
Um, so uh, big kudos to them and, and especially Charles Gideon for getting me hooked into the network of Colorado um, coming out here because he was the first one I reached out to. It was like, is there any battle tech going on in Colorado? And he's like, yeah, man, call, talk to Matt, talk to talk to Dave, talk to Mike. You know, all these guys are out here. We're doing stuff. I'm like, all right, fantastic. Let's do it. So, uh, you know, big shout out to Charles Gill, Gideon and, and Wolfnet. You know, that's, that's mine for this episode. Mike? Uh, okay, well, I guess uh, my shout-out's actually going to be Jack, even though he kicks all of our asses at tournaments and whatnot. He's been hosting a plethora of beginner events, pulling in new players of the community that are on the fence or just gotten into it in general, teaching them the game. Um, and absolutely everyone that's been to one of his events has had a had a amazing time so i just want to give a shout out to jack because uh i mean me and i'm pretty sure the rest of the community appreciate it the more the merrier you know oh yeah for sure so my shout out is to uh actually to damien because honestly damien was one of the first people that i met here in colorado that played BattleTech, and uh my friendship with him and the group the, the core group that we started here in uh, colorado springs kind of evolved into the merging of the Colorado Springs Battletech and the Colorado Battletech Facebook page. And honestly, it was what kind of started this whole, started me at least down this path that has led to where we are now. So big shout out to, uh, to Damien. And a, uh, the last one is just a, a big thank you to all the people that, uh, that support the Patreon, because that really does help us. Ditto to all those. All right, well, I believe that uh, brings us to an end for the day. Uh, thanks for joining us today in the Valhalla Club. Uh, if you are in Colorado, you can find us on Facebook at Colorado Battletech. From our Facebook group, you can also find an invite link to our Discord server where the majority of game planning in the area takes place. Uh, like Dave mentioned earlier, uh, if you are able to, uh, please subscribe to our Patreon as, uh, by the name of Colorado BT Player Organizations. Uh, this Patreon account will be used to provide prize support, as described earlier, to our local events and assist in venue costs. Uh, aside from that, everyone have a great day, and thanks for joining us. Thank you.